taking a very uh, short break from our sermon series in 1 Peter. This coming fall, though, we are looking specifically at First Peter, where we are uh, considering what it looks like for us to live as exiles in our, in our world. Last week, if you were with us, we looked and considered the, the idea of suffering and, our, and a witness in the workplace. Next week, we are going to be looking at First Peter 3 and very specifically talking about uh, marriage and family. And that would not be the first time I would have preached at, on marriage within Ironworks. And because last fall I preached on marriage from the book of Colossians. And one of the questions that I was asked afterwards is, it was like, so how does this impact me as a single person? And I did not want to preach on marriage once again without talking about singleness very specifically. And so today we are going to be looking and considering on God's design for singleness. And if you look out at the Christian literature out there on singleness, you'll really find that it's really broken down into three different categories. First, one category is, is where it's talking about ministry. And in some Christian traditions, that in order to be a, in the priesthood or a minister, you would have to be a single person. Secondly, there would be another category, and it's a growing category and a growing amount of literature as it's people who experience same-sex attraction, and they are talking about their faithfulness, faithfulness to Christ and, and their singleness. And thirdly, there are some writers who are writing with the perspective that singleness is primarily a season where you are preparing yourself for marriage. In other words, marriage is the goal. And so if you look at like those three categories, like you may actually feel very left out even there. Because perhaps you're not preparing for ministry. Perhaps you're not experiencing same-sex attraction. Perhaps you're not even preparing for marriage and you're, uh, that's not even on your radar. And so the, the reality is that within our, the church today is that uh, singles could feel left out, unwanted, and even wondering about their role in the church. And as we are here at Ironworks, it's my honest prayer and my honest, and my honest plea that I don't want any person, married or single, to feel left out or to even feel alone within God's family. And so I want us to really consider God's design for singleness. And so today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19 and also 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, various texts, uh, verses from 1 Corinthians 7. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 19. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, we'll be reading verses 3 through 12. You can follow along in worship guides or on this, the wall uh, beside me. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and be with us now as we consider uh, your word. May it be encouraging, may it be comforting, and Father, may we learn more about what it looks like for us to follow and walk with you in in our everyday lives. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. John Stott was a world-class theologian. He was an amazing pastor, a great writer and missionary. If you would look in in my library you'll notice that that there's this uh, commentary series called The Bible Speaks Today. And John Stott wrote many of those volumes. In 2004, a New York Times colonist wrote that if evangelicals, in this sense, he means conservative Protestant Christians, so if conservative Protestant Christians could elect a pope, John Stott would be their likely choice. John Stott also died in 2011. And as he died, he was at 90 years old. And he was never married. He was single his entire life. And this is what he said in an interview about his singleness. He says that single, singleness, yes, it is hard. And I wish someone would be at home to make me a cup of tea, but it is an incredibly fulfilling life. He knew something about singleness that I want us to think about today. And perhaps that's surprising. Because sometimes churches make singles feel left out. So you may go to a church and you'll actually say, hey, here's our singles ministry over here and here's our family ministry over here. There's this this divide, this division within the church. And so this is a problem. People, singles, can very specifically feel left out. And one writer, Scott Sauls, says this, If our marriage and and sexual ethics upholds the biblical design for marriage, but does not provide lasting comfort to loneliness among singles, divorcees, widows, widowers, or same-sex attracted persons, then it falls short of being a truly fully Christian ethic. So what Scott is saying here is that we need to think about how people, whether they're married or single, should find great joy and belonging within God's family. It's of vital importance for us to discover the secret that John Stott discovered, that singleness can be an incredibly fulfilling life. And here's what he knew. It's this idea that he knew, that he knows that singleness demonstrates the sufficiency of God's love and companionship for all of life. Singleness demonstrates the sufficiency of God's love and companionship for all of life. And that's the idea I want us to jump into this morning as we look at Matthew 19 and also 1 Corinthians 7. So let's just dive into Matthew's gospel and Matthew 19. Because the Pharisees, uh, I'm not sure if this actually was humorous to you. It is humorous to me because Matthew 19, the heading says teaching about marriage and divorce. And this is a sermon on singleness. The Pharisees come to Jesus and ask about marriage and divorce. And the disciples hear his answer and say say to him, If such is the case of a man with a woman, it is better not to marry. So he's so here's the disciples hearing Jesus' teaching and they're saying it's better for us to remain single pe- people. 
And this is a reversal of how we talk and think about marriage and singleness within the church. As, because the honest truth is that singleness is hard and lonely. And as, as we think about singleness, as we think about singleness from within the church, the popular idea is that singleness it takes a special calling. And so the prevailing wisdom is that like, hey, I'm not called to singleness, so I'm going to get married. It's going to be easier but at this point, what I simply want you to look at as we dive into Matthew 19, Jesus' outlook on singleness is very different than our own. Jesus' perspective on singleness is different from our own. Because every single one of those things I could say is that singleness is lonely. Well, so is marriage. Marriage can be lonely. Singleness takes a calling. Well, so is marriage. Neither of those things actually exclude one, one another. And so we have to seriously consider Jesus' perspective for a very important reason. Because I, we are a young church. Many of you are single. Many of you are single. But the honest truth is that for those of us who are married, we're going to be single again. 50% of us who are married are going to be single again. Whether it be through divorce or we're going to become widows or wi widowers. And so this is something that we need to actually consider for us married people need to consider to, to very honestly understand how we can encourage our single brothers and sisters, but also to prepare ourselves for singleness later again in life. So here's the question that we really should ask right away. What do we misunderstand about singleness? What do we misunderstand about singleness? And so let's, let's consider this. At the very beginning of Scripture, in the earliest pages of Scripture, we read the story of creation. God makes all things. And at the conclusion of every single day, God says, this is good. Day two, this is good. Day three, this is good. And God sings his praise over the whole world. And by the end of the week, he says, this is good. This is very, very good. But then in Genesis 2, we read that something was missing with creation. He says that it is not good that man should be alone. And right there, as we want to consider the, the, the origin story of humanity, Adam, the very first hum human, did not have any companions. Humanity is made in the image of God. And our triune God, our, our God, is one in three. He abides in perfect community within himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we reflect our triune God, our God in community, through our relationships by ourselves being in community. And so God's answer to Adam's problem of loneliness is in and through Eve, who is a helper fit to him. She's a picture of God, in fact. Throughout the entire Old Testament, there's really only one other person called a helper, and that is God himself. So Eve is a picture of God's helper, of God's helperness to Adam. And so together, Adam and Eve function together and serve together by being a strategic team who exercises and displays God's rule over the world. And this is where our misunderstanding arises. It's tempting to quickly conclude that our sole answer to loneliness is marriage. And so if you take that misunderstanding and apply it to your singleness, you're thinking, so if I'm a single person, then I'm incomplete because I do not have a helper to complete me. And that's a problem. There are, in fact, two problems with this misunderstanding. They're pretty major. And the first is something I, I pointed out just a few moments ago, but 
some of the loneliest people in the world are actually married people. This happens when husband and wife stop communicating, which eventually leads to no apologies. There's no confession. There's no vulnerability. There's no honesty. There's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of forgiveness when it's needed. So just because you're married does not mean you'll never be lonely again. And this is why Tim Keller would write a chapter in his book on marriage when it says, when, I forget the name of the chapter, but it's like when I find out I'm a stranger to the person I'm married to. And this is, so that's why marriage counselors talk about that dynamic. Because loneliness is real even within marriage. So marriage is not the solution to our loneliness. And secondly, and this is actually a very concrete principled idea that I want to just point out, and this is incredible, the most perfect human being who ever lived was a single man. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus was never married, never had sex, and Jesus was never a parent. So if we, if we just look at Genesis 2 and think to ourselves that the only way for us to actually complete our, ourselves is to be married, well, Jesus was never married. And he's the most perfect human being who has ever lived. So what's that do? But we also have another person in the Bible who was never married, and it's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, he tells us this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And right here from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I want to point out that singleness is a good thing. Singleness is a good thing. And so the, what we actually have misunderstood about singleness is that we think about singleness as a bad thing. But that is contrary to Scripture. Singleness is a good gift from God. But let, let me, before we think about why singleness is a good thing, why don't we see singleness as a good gift? Why is singleness the gift that no one wants? Why is that the case? Because Jesus here actually tells us why here in Matthew 19. He gives us three reasons why people are single, and he's using the language of eunuchs here in Matthew 19 to talk about singleness. And, he, and so the first is that some are single because they are eunuchs from birth. And from here, he's pointing out that, that, that physical deformities, that uh, things into the human condition can truly prevent marriage. And so we know Thing, these things are not good, and we, we grieve them. So perhaps it's special needs. Perhaps it's physical deformities. Perhaps it's something um, completely different. That, but some people are single because they are born as a single person from, the, from birth. That's some, the first thing. The second thing is that some are eunuchs because they have been made eunuchs by other people. And so quite literally, you can look and say like the book of Esther, when Esther um, is a queen, but she's being guarded by all these guards, and, and they're all eunuchs. And so you can look in, in Acts, you see the Ethiopian eunuch, who's essentially probably a, like the head of the IRS for the Ethiopian government, and he's a eunuch. And so what I'm pointing out there is that, that some people within Jesus' day were truly castrated to be even um, in government service. But it doesn't just have to be that way. It doesn't have to be like, well, they've been um, forced into singleness by um, in cruel measures. It could be actually from a state of compassion. Uh, growing up, 
Growing up um, in my church, in the, excuse me, in the church I grew up in, there was this, um, there are these two people, Bill and Grace Rhodes, and by their name, you may think that they were actually married, but they weren't. They're actually brother and sister. Bill, when he was 45, he developed cancer behind the eye, and so he actually lost his sight when he was 45 years old. And Grace took him in and just took care of him for the next 45 years. Incredible. Incredible. That Bill and Grace were siblings, but, um, but some children never marry in order to care for their parents or perhaps even for their siblings. It's a it's, it's true Beautiful picture of God's love and care for family. But perhaps um, instead of one of those dynamics, it could be an additional, a different situation. Kemeny Uwan, she wrote about her own singleness, and she said this, that you can be single just because you've been rejected. You've been never chosen, nor did you ever initiate nor did you ever have your feelings reciprocated. Sometimes you are forced into singleness because you've never been chosen. And so it's very easy to take all this very personally to, and to wonder, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And so there is this feeling of shame that, can, that inevitably comes with singleness. And so right here, as we just have gone through these, this brief list, there's a lot of reasons why we would look at singleness and say, that's not a good gift. And so, but you should never be ashamed of your singleness. You should never be ashamed of your singleness. Singleness is a good gift from God. Jesus was single. Paul wished that Christians, more Christians were single too. And Jesus even points out that some choose singleness for themselves, that they are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. So why is singleness a gift? Why is singleness a gift? Again, with Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 34, Paul writes that the, un the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And so right here, Paul is simply reminding us of a very obvious truth. That marriage brings a whole set of concerns and responsibilities. If you're married, you know you're not your own person. If a friend says, hey, if a friend says to you, hey, let's get together for happy hour, you know you're not your own person. You know for the peace of your own house th that you should say, I'm going to check with my beloved spouse. So you're, and this is simply because your time is not your own. And so perhaps you, your spouse is working late and your spouse wants you to do gr the grocery shopping or wants you to come home and make dinner. Perhaps that's the case. And so the point is that marriage takes coordination, planning, and commitment, even if you feel like it or not. And so what Paul's pointing out is that as a married person, you are anxious about other things in life. But you're anxious about other things in terms of your house. And so when you look at marriage from the picture of Ephesians 5, marriage is this incredible picture of the gospel. 
And whenever I do premarital counseling, I share the story of this one couple. It's Benjamin and Anne Warfield. About a year after these two got married, they were traveling in Germany as, as Benjamin Warfield. Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. That's a great name. B.B. Warfield. That's where he was doing, pursuing his studies and doing his doctorate in theology. And so they're in Germany, they're traveling, and they're caught, they're, they're trapped in a fierce thunderstorm. They survived, but the whole experience was traumatizing to Anne. She did not recover from the experience, and she was a functional invalid for the rest of her life. Benjamin cared for her for the rest of her life. She was, he was her constant companion, and he was gone from her side for only two hours at a time. His house was right across the street from the classroom that he taught in at Princeton. So right here is that I want to point out that marriage is a picture of God's love, of the depth of God's love for us. It's a picture of God's commitment to us. And that's why the single man Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.22 that husbands are meant to be concerned for their wives and wives are also to be mindful for their husbands. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians 7, it's, it makes sense for us as married individuals to be anxious about our spouse and to be considerate and thoughtful of them. But again, this is a sermon on singleness. But when you are single, returning to 1 Corinthians 7, you do not have to be concerned for a wife or a husband. Singleness freely allows you to simply do things. Not that you are free to do anything you want. It's quite the contrary. Paul tells us how to use our freedom. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord to please him. The unmarried woman, the betrothed, to be, how to be holy in body and in spirit. And so right there, what does it mean for us to be anxious for the things of the Lord? Well, just contrary to cultural wisdom today, contrary to cultural wisdom today, our singleness is not an extension of our teenage years where we can have lots of fun with little responsibilities. Paul tells us that we are actually supposed to use our, our singleness to grow in holiness in our body and in spirit. Paul wants you to use your singleness to be anxious for the Lord, where you're learning about his word, spending time in prayer, where you're serving others, where you're living in community, building relationships, where you are actually able to be spiritual parents, to others or spiritual siblings to one another, where you shared the gospel and, and more. That's what it, Paul is telling us what to do when we are to be anxious for the Lord. And, and so at this point, I, I just want to point out that the freedom that comes of singleness allows you to display the, just how wide God's love goes. Just how wide God's love goes. And this is uh, an insight that comes from the author, pastor, and teacher, Peter Scazzaro. And perhaps you know that, that writer if you've read any one of the Emotionally Healthy books. This is from the Emotionally Healthy Leader, and he points out that our marriages and singleness are frameworks to display the gospel. Marriages are pictures of the depth of God's love. Singleness is a picture of the breadth of God's love. How so? How is singleness a picture of displaying the breadth of God's love? Well, I've already mentioned that in marriage we have responsibilities and commitments from preventing us from doing things. So in singleness there's a freedom to pursue relationships 
and opportunities. Think about the Apostle Paul once again, who himself was single. He went on missionary trips throughout the Mediterranean region. And everywhere he went, though, he had a family. We see this throughout the entire New Testament. We look at uh, 1 Timothy, and he's addressing, Paul's addressing Timothy. He says, you are my, the true, my true child in the faith. You read Titus, and again, you are my son. So what I'm pointing out is that within the church, we have parents, we have sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in the faith. And singleness is a vocation that allows you to display that. Sam Alberry points out that this point in his own book, uh, Seven Myths We Believe About Singleness. And he writes this, that singleness gives me a capacity for a range of friendships I would not be able to sustain if I was married. I have close friends ranging from 20 years younger than I to 20 years older, covering a geographical and cultural range. A more flexible lifestyle makes it possible to see them in a way I could not imagine if I had my own family to look at and look, at, look after. Some time ago, a couple I am close to ch called me to tell me that they had some sad, some sad and sudden bad news from their doctor and were in distress. Being single made it easy for me to drop everything, throw a toothbrush in a bag, and go over to their house and stay a few nights. It meant a lot to me to be able to do that, and it meant the world to them. Another couple I know lost a child to suicide. I was able to stay with them for a few days. It was a sad privilege to be with them in a time of such deep trauma. Other friends shared how overwhelmed they were between work and just taking their kid to school and picking their kids up from school and more. So I just offered to make this, the school run, to, pick their, to drop their kids up off at school and to, and to pick them up at the end of the day. It was a delight for me. And other times I would ask if I could do a grocery run, come over and cook them a, a meal for the whole family. What I want to simply point out is that singleness is a framework to just show off how wide and far God's love reaches. That's what singleness is. is what, that's what singleness shows. Yet, Loneliness is real. And it's, it's experienced, as I said, in marriages and in singleness. Ed Shaw, another passionate writer, writes that I have what I call kitchen floor moments. I call them that because they involve me sitting on the floor, but I'm not doing anything helpful like cleaning the floor. Instead, I'm there crying. The reasons for my crying is my, the acute pain I sometimes feel as not having a partner, sex, children, and the rest. The loneliness of life is real. Loneliness is real. And the challenge for all of us is to find joy and contentment in the faithful friendship of Jesus Christ. Jesus promises us that he will be with us till the end of the age. That he is always with us. In fact, there's this beautiful passage where Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants. Instead, I call you my friends. See, Jesus gives you everything you need to experience his friendship and his companionship in life. He gives you his word. He gives you his spirit and his church. Jesus went to the cross and died so that you would experience and be able to embrace the access that is yours to God, where you can go to God anytime, any place, 
But God also gave you a family. God did not make us to live isolated lives. God did not design his family to compartmentalize where singles are on one side and families are, are, are in another side of life. Lauren Winter, who's an author and professor, she points out that Sundays, Sunday mornings can be the loneliest part of the week. It can be dispiriting to sit alone in a church seemingly full of married couples. At this point, I just want to ask the question, how can Ironworks be a church that proudly displays both the breadth and the depth of God's love? How can Ironworks be a church that proudly embraces the callings and the vocations and uh, of singleness and marriage? Here's a few things. Here's a few things. First, as a church family, we need to embrace the truth that we are brothers and sisters with one another. So our lives and our priorities should reflect that. I love that many singles within our church are housemates with one another. But very specifically, do singles feel like they can truly drop by for a visit at any of our, at any of our homes to just say hi, to, to say, hey, want to come over for game night? Or, hey, how do I put a shelf up in my house? These are actually things that are asked all the time. Secondly, we need to celebrate single milestones. Even in my prayer earlier, I've, I prayed for uh, and celebrated a wedding. I celebrated an engagement. We also celebrate parenting. We also celebrate pregnancies and more, but we need to celebrate single milestones. This includes getting into grad school, graduating, getting a new job, getting a promotion where we see mentors where we see being spiritual parents and more. We need to celebrate single milestones. And lastly, and this is just a brief list, but because there's a long list, really. But lastly, we need to see singles in places of responsibility, service, and leadership. So when you come forward in a few moments to partake of the Lord's Supper, in fact, I don't know who's serving, assisting with the Lord's Supper in a few moments, but it's very normal for you to see singles right next to married people. And that is pervasive throughout our church. See, at Ironworks, we want to be a church that proudly displays the breadth of God's love. We want to be a church that demonstrates the depth and, and breadth of God's love. And, and by where we see singles and married families, being a family together. And so all of this, there, within all this, there's a call, there's a challenge the, the, the invitation, in fact, is that you have a family. And this church is your family. You have a family here. But there is a challenge as well. That there, the challenge is, a, in, is an invitation for you to lean in and to cultivate friendships with one another here in this church. And it's these, this type of friendship that is vulnerable, that is honest, and that is open. Where we are able to say, hey, can, I need help. Or... Can we do this together? And that what God, what we see here as we in this just brief look in 1 Corinthians 7 and what we see is that God has designed his church to be a family. And this is a family that is full of grace and love because we are centered on God's love and grace that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your grace that you have shown us. We ask that in coming weeks, coming days, that you would help us that to 
that you would help us to live out the truth of this passage, that we would show and demonstrate just how wide your love reaches, just how deep your love goes. And so, Father, we ask for your help in this because we need your help to do this well. So in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have children over in kids,